Coming up tonight on another episode of the Big Footy Podcast, we talk all about the national draft and who won and who lost and who did weird things in the draft. We talk all about the changes the AFL has made to make the game more fan-friendly. All that and more coming right up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Big Footy Podcast. It's been a few weeks since we've done a cast. In fact, I think the last cast we did, we didn't even release. Um, that may be my fault. But anyway, we're here talking about the draft and various other things that have affected us this week. I am, of course, the Wookiee with me tonight. Veritable who's what of Big Footy. Uh, and I have with me my first guest, of course, as always, Messenger. Good evening. Good evening. Chief is making us do this podcast tonight. <laughs> It's truer than you think. <laughs> I laugh, but it's true. <laughs> and, and also joining us uh, tonight is Seppo. Uh, Good evening, gentlemen. And g'day, Prosecutor. Welcome back, Matt. Been a while? It has been a while, but always a pleasure to be back on. Um, what's caught your eye recently, guys, since we uh, last had a chat? Uh, how about you, Seppo? What's caught your eye, Matt? Um, well, it's just quite interesting just to see the uh, changing landscape of the the draft, and and now that the uh, gone through the trade period, free agency, gone through the uh, rookie draft today, but the um, the preseason draft's an interesting one. There was only uh, one person, I think, um, Tut got picked up by Carlton, and there was only I think about eight clubs actually active in the preseason draft. Yet there was only one pick, so I think it's about time that we uh, got, rid, got of rid of the preseason draft. draft. <laughs> it's just pointless, really. But, you don't but... think there was any media or anything talked about it? Well. Any build-up? Been like that for some time, too, I think. Mm. Messenger? Uh, I, well, I, 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 you know, I don't follow the draft. I, I don't know these kids. So I sort of look about and, and, I, and I check at the end and I find out that some clubs have been able to pick up jets. Other clubs have picked up guns. But you're always interested to find out who's picked out the elite jet gun. And um, I'll be interested to see who you think is the elite jet gun of the draft class because uh, there's some uh, interesting names that mean little little to me. I, I think uh, Melbourne and St Kilda in particular made out like bandits during the draft. Port, oh, come on. The, do we say this about Melbourne every year? Well, we do, but that's because they have so many picks every year. <laughs> poor, poor, poor Jimmy Tumpus. Big hello to Jimmy tonight. <laughs> And a big hello to Mike, who's not with us tonight. He's uh, studying for something or other. He's going to become a vet or something like that. Is he a I'd, vet? I don't know. I made that up, Messenger. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. Maybe a chemist. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Compounding pharmacists. <laughs> All right. Go well. Let's get into the agenda tonight, guys. And uh, obviously, first up is the national draft. Um, and as I said uh, just before, I think uh, Melbourne had two picks in the top three, uh, which they used to draft uh, Petrarca and, and Brayshaw. And yeah, so they, they look like they did it. St Kilda took Patrick McCartan at number one. GWS uh, took Jared Pickett, um, who I'm not sure if he's related to other Picketts. Um, so, but interesting today, 
that Port Adelaide would take Nathan Cracker in the rookie draft uh, four years after he left them to go to Gold Coast. <laughs> Just walked out, and, went, went to Gold Coast. I thought it was interesting. And three years after Gold Coast kicked him out. Yeah, and, and uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle Hardingham didn't find another club. He's apparently broken-hearted about it all. Um, I just I, I want to make a, a point about Carlton's uh, drafting. I don't think it's as good as some people think it is, but that is my personal opinion, and apparently I know nothing about these things. So, well, I do have uh, a I, you know I reckon Carlton and West Coast are probably the two worst of, of all the uh, clubs in terms of both the combination of the national draft and um, the rookie draft. It's just nothing really well. West Coast picks all scream vanilla to me, and Carlton is just comical, really. But you've got guys called um. Bokehurst, whatever his name is, known as the tweeter already, due to his um, tweet about <laughs> uh, Carlton being a follower and bagging them out before he even joined the club. And then you've got a guy called Biojo Rainbow. It's uh, quite comical, but um, I do like the uh, Clem Smith, West Australia guys picked up at uh, 60 in the national draft, so it's not all bad for Carlton. Oh, I definitely like Clem, uh, Clem Smith. I don't mind Jaden Foster either. Um, Mike might be able to tell us more about him if he was here, but he's not. Uh, He's going to be a vet, all right? <laughs> we are moving towards, but the, 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 in, rather than talking about the particular players, we're moving towards people who look like they can play a number of different positions. They're going for size and mobility. See, and we are looking now at fewer, much, many fewer ruckmen. So there were two players who self-identify, shall we say, as ruckmen, and then we had the beautifully named two-metre Peter going at pick eight. But we had a... Port picked up a guy in the... With, I think the last pick of the draft. Hawthorne picked up uh, Mark Pittenhead at pick 50, and that was it. And, and so I think clubs are really saying, look, we'll we'll get a Ruckman as a, as a free agent or we'll get a Ruckman in the rookie draft and we'll find somebody who's from a suburban league, ready to go... 22, 23, and can do the job rather than getting some six foot nine string bean in and waiting five years to find out he's no good. Yeah. And I think now the, de- the places on the list are not being used for development, they're being used for ready to go guys. And, and the rookie list is really where all your development gets done now. So, in terms of the change of face of the game, I think clubs have shown they can almost get away without really good ruckman. You just look at how Port did without. Well, running the whole year with just um, what Loby and, and Redden and Renouf and those type of guys going through that most of the time were injured and even getting guys, you know, key defenders or key forwards to just slot in there. It's almost like the changing face of the game that the pure Ruckman's gone and you'll get, you know, key position forwards and defenders that can pinch hit in the Ruck and that's what they will run with all day, providing they can run. You know, just look in the way that you talked about you, your um, multifaceted um you know, position players. Freo have just gone for endurance players all aboard that could be slotted into multiple positions. It's it's almost like the uh, new template of um, you know total footballers and, and athletes rather than really old style you know stay at home full forwards and ruckmen. But this goes back to the sub rule where you can't have like if you can't kick goals if you can't go forward when you're not rucking then you don't have a place in the game anymore. Mm. Like you, you just you, you cannot do it. You've got to be able to do everything. And that guy that Hawthorne drafted, I think he came second in the skills test or something in the in the draft camp. I mean, they've, they, you've got to have something that you do really, really well yeah. at that size. And and 
guys who are just stand around, tap out, stand the forward pocket. Well, that's that's 1985, and it's not now. Just uh, on Ruckman, Paul Deere's son, you guys weren't interested, Messenger? There was talk for quite a while about young Harry, and um, there was certainly a feeling all through on the Hawks ball for quite a while that we would father son him. Now, I guess the question... Uh, the interesting thing was they, they didn't go for him in the national draft. I think he ended up... He, he's in Adelaide now, isn't he? So he went... Yeah. He, 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 he was in the 50 somewhere, wasn't he? 58. I'm just looking... 58. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they, they did overlook him and obviously they didn't feel that he did something well enough to, to justify a place on the list and he clearly didn't make it through the rookie draft. And In fact, Hawthorne retook Sam Grimley today, which is an interesting decision, but yeah. Mm. No, they didn't make it. There was another Hawks... Langford? Kyle Langford? Yeah, seemingly an endless well of Langfords to to take, so we've got... (laughs) I I don't think he's Chris Langford's son, though, is he? I think he's related. Or have I got that wrong? No, the one that we... The Langford from the National Draft is not related, but we rookied um, Lachlan Langford today. I noticed that. He's the the brother of... um, the brother of and son of. So um, there was another Hawthorne father son that went somewhere. I can't remember who that was. Yeah. I'm looking feverishly. I'm currently uh, scanning the list. Peter Moore's son taking a pick nine. I'm so glad that Collingwood had to pay through the nose for him. That kid is going to be a gun uh, from what I saw. In fact, he's the only one that really impressed me the whole way through the under-18s. Uh, through the under-18 championships this year, I thought he was outstanding the whole way through, and I'm glad they had to pay through the nose for him. I think Sydney got away with um, Isaac Heaney at pick 18. He's, well, I think he was rated and could have been anywhere in the top five, but the fact that they get him as 18 is a uh, daylight like robbery. It's their highest pick. Yeah. Would it you was... say Jet Gun or Elite Jet Gun? Oh, he's in that Elite Jet Gun category. Elite Jet Gun, wow. Yeah. It's... Wow. You don't really know for a few years with these kids, though, do you? No. <laughs> I guess you just got to hope that somebody like Petrarca and Brayshaw don't sort of get thrown into the thrown into the fire too soon because uh, you see a few of these kids not cope with that. But, um, I mean, if, I guess if you can get yourself in an organisation where you get a bit of time to develop, that's the ideal thing. I just love the optimism on the boards of the fact that the, the clubs will obviously scour together and put a highlights package they release once they've picked the player and, and everyone sort of goes, oh, look at that kick or look at the way you chase someone and, and this is what they've got to live with. Yet these are highlights or it's a small grab and people yeah. just take that and run with it and think of these are going to be the, uh, the things to save their club going forward. It's just funny how, you know, as a percentage-wise, it's what 50% of them will actually work out or get to the 50-game yeah. mark. Yep. So what about you, Prosecutor? How do you think Essendon went at the draft? Look, I'm obviously uh, pretty excited. Um, I did no follow-up work, uh, or sorry, I did no research in the lead-up to the draft. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, as a supporter, I think there's a tendency to, um, obviously, your interest in the draft sort of measures where your picks are. And when you're a pick 17 and 20, and that's all you've got for the draft, uh, you know, there's sort of minimal interest, especially when you've got all the Asada crap happening. So, um, you know, I did no research leading up, but uh, from what I hear from Andrew, Dodo- uh, not Andrew, Adrian Dodoro, um, we got who we rated the eighth and twelfth pick in the draft. Uh, 
sort of tallish athletic players. Uh, one's been likened to Dangerfield and the other Fife, so obviously a typical draft pick hype. But um, they seem exciting prospects who have a lot of potential and a lot of uh, a lot to work with. So he's hoping that one of them um, has a similar sort of development curve to, say, uh, Zach Merritt, um, who we got last year at pick 26 in the uh, Crammery trade. So, I mean, it's always exciting this time of year, but it'll be good to see them on the track and see what they can bring and potentially crack the senior side next year for a couple of games. As I've said clearly tonight, I don't profess any draft knowledge, but somebody on the boards who I do know that professes draft knowledge reckons GWS had an absolute stinker. Mm. Three tops picks in the top ten and they had a stinker. Which, I, I think I, I think it's a really early call. Um, Pickett, Paula Hearn. I mean, Hearn was rated. Marchbank was rated. I, I don't I don't see foot why problems. foot problems for Hearn. Maybe, but Marchbank was definitely yeah. rated. Uh, Pickett might have been a bit of a surprise. I think uh, McKenna. Uh, maybe I, I don't know anything about McKenna or Steele, but you know. Then again, I don't He's know much got... about anything. But these, these, this team, of any team, these guys have to show a pulse next year. They just cannot, cannot, cannot have another two-win season. Like, they have to do something. Did they have a two-win season this year? Well, they, they can't but they can't keep going like that. But you know, did they have a two-win season this year, Messenger? I mean, next year. You know what I mean. And how many year. wins did they have this year, though, Messenger? I don't know. How many did they have? <laughs> was it four? I think it was four, though. Yeah. Four. Yeah. So, Four, two, it's shit. Four. It's shit. They can't be shit next year. Let's, let's that's that's what down. you're trying to say. GWS, you cannot <laughs> be shit next year. You I... have to be passing, something passing respectable. Speaking about... Slot, slot them into your bottom four, though. <laughs> bottom, bottom two, bottom right in. Speaking of GWS, though, um, the number of players drafted from New South Wales and Queensland this year uh, was up dramatically on previous years um, because of the academies and, and that that can be credited down to the academies now I don't have a problem with the academies as long as they're done on the bidding system the same bidding system that father son's done uh, done under if it's done that way no problem for me no I'm alright with that I, 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 yeah, I, yeah I don't mind the old way not so much but this way I think it's fair everyone gets a crack you get to bid the same way everyone else does now this is interesting Wookie is that uh North Melbourne, the gypsies of the AFL, yeah, uh, interested in having an academy in Tasmania, looking to take from the Tasmanian people. Um, do Hawthorne have an academy down there? They do not. Well, Tasmanian football is in pretty poor shape. Um, there were a few Tassies drafted this year, but uh, they have um, not been anywhere near the level that they were in the past. And and the state league is by all reports, you know, lurching from year to year like a drunken uh, old homeless guy. Um, I think an academy down there would be a good thing. Um, it's, it's, it's. I guess the question is, can you reasonably have an academy in a state when you only play two games a season? Can, if you are going to have an academy, do you need to show a greater commitment to the region? I don't. I don't think so. I, I think it's. I think you've got to be prepared. Uh, as long as you're prepared to commit to it, and you have the staff down there, 
uh, and you can support it, um, whether it's players turning up for clinics or coaching or whatever, I, I, I don't think it's a problem. It would be ideal if they could play more games there, but I don't think it's a requirement for having an academy. You think it's a bit of a give and take, though, that if you're going to take from that area in the grassroots, you're going to give something back, and like you're pointing out, you probably need to play a bit more than just one or two games down in Hobart for North. Do you think that Hawthorne well, probably have more claim to it than the games they play down in Aurora? Hawthorne have, made, have had no indication that they're talking about doing it, and Hawthorne's deal is up in... 2006. In fact, I think Hawthorne and North's deal up in, in end of 16. So I guess the question then, it seems to be the push that that's just as they did in the past, they want North to have a home. And I talked about on the Hawthorne board about they don't want a big club, a, a, a well-run club taking up a, a lifeboat spot if they can possibly avoid it. Because I, I honestly believe that Hawthorne, for, for Hawthorne to take the next step, they need to come back to Melbourne entirely. I think that the Tasmanian deal has probably run its race with Victorian-based members. I think it's almost run its race with Tasmanian I think they're having difficulty sustaining a value proposition for members, particularly as the prices go up. But, you know, it's it's not just a matter of not playing down there anymore and foregoing sponsorship. There's there's nearly 9,000 members down there. Mm. It's not enough to prop up a single team, though. They know they talked about a Tassie team for a while, but it's probably just not enough to you know, prop itself on its own. But the, I mean, the, feasib- the, clubs out. the feasibility study they did for Tasmania predicted 100,000 members <laughs> uh, for a Tasmanian side. And that may well be the case for a purely Tasmanian side. If you're going to keep importing, importing teams, though, and if they ever bring a Tasmanian team in, I have no idea what North Melbourne are going to play next. Uh, given that Ballarat's now out of the equation, and we'll talk about that a bit later. And part of the reason I really wish Mike was on tonight. But, uh, yeah, so we've moved a little bit of field from the uh, draft. And, uh, and, and... Well, we're still on the draft, I'll just probably we, point out that we we've, um, we've actually gone through... Freer have actually uh, gone with the international rookie, um, Sean Hurley from Ireland. I think I counted about four or five other Irish guys um, added to the list. So I think there was a count yeah. of... I think I was actually checking before. There might have been 11, but I think I was including some of the ones that were just delisted this year. So there's about nine Irish players on list now right through the AFL. So that's a pretty impressive number. They're actually looking now to Ireland and have actually added a couple to the list, albeit on the rookie list. I think think a relative of Pierce Hanley was taken uh, by Brisbane. So they obviously rate that guy. Um, Yeah. Mm. There's a, there, there were definitely a few that were taken. Uh, Paddy Brophy yeah. to the Eagles, and you got Patrick Lucy to Geelong. There's a couple there. Connor McKenna was taken at... Uh, Patrick Lucy was taken from the Recruit, the TV show. Um, oh. It, literally, that's how we got noticed through through the TV show, I believe. Um, I think it was Geelong that took him as well. But, Who's uh, the actual Recruit? Where did he end up? Johan Wagner went to Port Adelaide at pick 51. Yeah, he chose, he chose Port, went to Port. Uh, Connor McKenna, international rookie taken by Essendon at pick 62 in the rookie draft. Uh, Mason Cox from the United States was uh, retained by Collingwood, which is good for him. Uh, Sian Hanley, or Kian Hanley, was taken uh, by Brisbane at 56. Hawthorne took Sam Grimley in the last pick of uh, round four of the draft, if you're wondering. Yes. 
and then no one yes. pretty much no one everyone passed on every pick after uh, Andrew Rains was taken at 71 so yeah not oh, actually Matthew Hamill that's actually taken. not a bad pick Andrew Rains is actually not a bad pick up for Gold Coast I don't mind Andrew Rains Greg Broughton is a familiar name to me for some reason at the Gold Coast. He was an ex-Fremantle that was on the Gold yeah. Coast list for a while and got delisted and, and re-rookied. Back on the Gold Coast list there. Adam Schneider was re-rookied at St. Kilda. Well, was rookied at St. Kilda. Hang on. Why? Why? What would you do? How old's Adam Schneider? Robin Nahas was re, uh, was oh, rookied at North Melbourne. God. So, and I hear the dogs put... Put Brett Goods back on a list. <laughs> they did. He's oh. Brett, Brett Goods has been re-rookied at well, has been rookied at at the Bulldogs. So oh, fantastic stuff me. there. <laughs> that's, that's just terrific. That yes. Daniel Pierce is rookied at uh, at the Bulldogs. Yeah. Um, interesting. Um, well, the interesting one Jake was um, Cameron Delaney was actually picked up by. Geelong right before North Melbourne's pick and he was one that was on North Melbourne's list. So it'll be interesting to see if they're intending on re-rooking him um, or the fact that Geelong actually jumped in and, and pinched someone that they were um, expecting to be there. Michael Long's kid uh, was drafted by uh, from St Mary's to Essendon and father-son under the, the rookie draft. I didn't know you could do father-son through the rookie draft but there you go. Well, well you can. It's just that if it, nobody else wants you and and, uh, and just as, you know, young Langford's joined uh, Hawthorne through the rookie draft as well. But uh, I think they actually declined to even put, in a, to bid, put him in the bidding process, didn't they? Jake mm. Long? Mm. Ahmed Saad, take back, take back at St Kilda as a rookie. So good. good stuff there. Um, not, not completely yeah. abandoned like some people. Uh, you know, he's not a Sean Charles. Um, and really, that's pretty much all. And Adam Sard was taken <laughs> by Cold Coast. Maybe maybe they stuffed up there. Got him mixed up. <laughs> I don't know. Um, otherwise, Billy Gowers. No relation to Andy Gowers? Uh, ooh, who's got him? Carlton. Billy Gowers. Took him from Oakley. No, I don't know. I, but I believe the Foster you drafted at 63 is son of uh, former Bulldog. Yes, he is. Yes, he is, yeah. yeah. No, I don't know about the Gowers kid. Um, oh, what was it? Kane Lucas was taken by West Coast from Carlton. Good luck to West Coast with him. Sean McKernan <laughs> went from Adelaide to uh, Essendon to uh, apparently bolster their big man stocks. Um, I think, actually, when you think about it, Essendon have actually done quite well out of the um, both trade drafting and rookie listing comprised of their uh, picks, limited picks they've had. I reckon Essendon have done overall pretty well. Was Kane Lucas one of, when Carlton drafted Kane Lucas, was one of the, the pick they used him from the Judd trade? Uh, no. No, it was, from another, it was from another trade, though. That... From a, no, I'm thinking the wrong way around, sorry, because he was a... No, 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 sorry. He He's been in Carlton three years, hasn't he? he? He's been in Carlton longer than three was, years, I think. He was a top ten pick. I, I think he was pick six in the national, or pick seven, I think, in the national draft uh, a couple of years back. Um, so yeah, we're going to move along though, because obviously we've got other things to talk about besides the draft. Besides Carlton's failures at the draft table. Well, yeah, we could talk about that for a couple of years. 
Um, just uh, quickly, the AFL has apparently decided to uh, panic, hit the panic button and try to right some of its wrongs from the last couple of years. Uh, kick to kick now coming back after some games, not all games, but some games. Um, the, f- the fixture has definitely been adjusted dramatically from previous years. No more Sunday nights, no more Monday nights. Yes. Um, a few Sunday night, uh, Sunday afternoon games. It's Sunday evening games, rather. So they've definitely um, made some adjustments there after last year's attendances dropped in Melbourne and really were only saved by Adelaide. How how do you and, and you can throw into that as well the Swans games from the SCG because um, that was an AFL deal at ANZ Stadium not a Swans one so that's uh, that's all been rectified now the Swans are going to be quite happy quite, with that quite interesting with the um the well they're claiming they're bringing back the kick to kick that I've actually um been to a lot of games this year I don't know which venues did it but there um there still was a bit of kick to kick certain venues had it I don't know if it was like Gold Coast down at Geelong mm. um up in Sydney and um, I think it was even a Melbourne, um, Freo Melbourne game I went to probably two or three years ago that had to kick to kick. So it's obviously certain restrictions that maybe the I don't know if the curators or whoever puts the restriction on how many attend the game to the kick to kick. But it'll be interesting to see the setup of what they go with and they're trying to advertise it. But they'll obviously still limit it if the the ground can't be uh, wrecked because certainly when you look at certain games or the way that the fans run out there, you wouldn't want it at the MCG on a say, a, a Saturday if there's supposed to be another game mm. straight after on the Sunday. I think the AFL's also... To be ca- fair, the Melbourne the Melbourne, the Melbourne Fremantle traffic would be fairly <laughs> light on the MCG. Yeah. I think it was actually 14,000 or 17,000 there the day that they had the kick-to-kick there, so that was well planned. Mm. <laughs> I think as well the AFL's planning to do away with uh, variable ticket pricing, um, which is a bit of an albatross around its neck this year. Yes. Overall, I think they're making they're making the right sounds. They're making the right moves at the moment. The uh, match review panel has uh, been adjusted as well, so demerit points will be gone. Another minor one that actually uh, affects me being in the Frio Cheer Squad is actually the uh, flag restriction. And there's one thing they've actually looked at um, atmosphere from other games. Mm. I think it's taken from the A League and actually taken out the restriction of I think it was 1.2 meter or 1.5 meter flagpoles. And some clubs seem to get away with it, but you'll actually probably see more of a visual presence behind the goal next to you once they've finally removed what they called or classified as a weapon. And security guards basically taking oversized flagpoles off um, cheer squad members. So this would be a uh, quite interesting uh, how it actually changed by you know the big big flags behind the goals. I'm, I'm, a, a, a stick that long is only a weapon if you're fighting at the Battle of Cresty or something like that. It's not a, 14, not a 14th century pikeman, for God's sake. Yeah. You have people jousting in the grounds afterward. <laughs> yes. I, think, I don't think it's so much the A-League that's influenced this as it is the experience at uh, Adelaide Oval that has changed a lot of the uh, AFL's perspective. Um Game, just the uh, the music, the the atmosphere at Adelaide Oval. I don't. I think is second to none at the moment. And I think the AFL looked at that and went, "Well, how can I know that uh, the MCG uh, uh, staff from the MCG and Eddie had went to Adelaide Oval to uh, find out how they were doing it." So it's all. I think it's all going to. Um, it's all going to come together for the first time in a couple of years. Certainly, if they could rec- um, recreate what. I experienced when I went across to Adelaide last year for the Port Freo game. That was a very good game to be at in terms of the, the build-up <laughs> and the sound and everything there. If they can get that type of an atmosphere across the board at all stadiums, it's a 
big tick to the AFL if I can do that because well, it certainly was good. I was at the Port Carlton game last year and I wish I hadn't been now, but <laughs> I was. And uh, <laughs> fortunately, we had uh, free beer as part of our our, our corporate box, but um, it, <laughs> it was very sad. You, you have a corporate box. Uh, it wasn't so much a corporate box; it was a sacker thing. So it was a sacker event, but. Uh, yeah, just the atmosphere and, and the viewing angles at the stadium itself. It is obvious, like, not only is it new and shiny, but it's all combined to, um, to just be a, a great venue to watch. And, and I've been to the MCG and I've been at some great moments at the MCG. The first time Glenn McGrath hit a four by accident, um, and half the crowd just stampeded, <laughs> like, because he uh, French cut a shot down to the boundary. But anyway, they're great moments. But no, 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 I've, it, it is a great statement. I mean, they could probably widen the footbridge back into Adelaide <laughs> from the Oval. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a great stadium, and I think that's where the AFL's looking to get some of his inspiration from. I don't think the AFL cares about the A-League, to be honest, uh, or what the A-League's doing with... You know, there are 13 to 14,000 people that are going to games. I don't think the AFL cares. I think the AFL cares because the crowds dropped in Melbourne, which doesn't happen very often. And it concerned them enough that they had to take action and maybe stop with the fiddling around and bring it back to the game that we remember a little bit more. So, to that to end... To be fair, Melbourne Victory got 28,000 the other day. 28,000. Spare me. On a Friday... <laughs> In November, <laughs> fair go. Up, up there are twice as many to that to the bloody than to the cricket. Yeah, the cr- cricket's in bad shape though, man. <laughs> like at the moment, and it well, has yeah. traditional cricket has and one day cricket has been in horrific shape for some time. It'll pull up again uh, for the Boxing Day test, like it always does. But yeah, anyway, cricket's not really our ballywick, as the saying goes. So your word for oh. the day, kids, Ballywick. <laughs> go, go look that one up. You've been pretty uh, quiet through all this. What are, what are your thoughts on the AFL's fixturing and the kick-to-kick and all the other and the match review panel and everything else? Look, I think the AFL's doing a lot of right things. Uh, obviously, they uh, they have to bite the bullet and admit that they screwed up their, their uh, trial and error sort of almost tactics of last season with their Sunday night matches and so on and so forth. So it's uh, it's nice to see, um, I think you said there's an end to variable ticketing. Is that gone out or am I just imagining things? Uh, what was that? Uh, variable ticketing or whatever it was. I believe it, if it hasn't gone, I think it's on the chopping block. Yeah. So we've obviously had that. We've had um, the match review panel overhaul. Uh, we've had a move to traditional Saturday afternoon games, uh, which Essendon has requested just from my club's perspective and uh, has been granted, which at the same time means a reduction in Friday night games. But, I mean, everyone loves Saturday afternoon game at Melbourne, in Melbourne. So <laughs> it's more fan-friendly in that aspect. We don't have none of those Sunday night, Monday night crap uh, shenanigans happening and um, I, I like the idea of the uh, time slots, like on the Saturday night, being brought back in. Uh, so overall, I think Gillan McLaughlin and the AFL in general are making a good uh, fist of trying to win back the trust and respect of the public when it comes to 
you saw the match day experience and the obviously uh, the fans in general. But uh, until he gets the price of chips down, he uh, he obviously hasn't done his job to the fullest. So positive steps, but you know you've got to. It's like a. It's almost like a. Uh, the same as politics after an election where, you know, they get all their good policies out. We just got to wait until they have that sort of mid cycle thing where, uh, you know, all the bad budgeting, uh, crap starts to kick in and all that sort of stuff. So we'll see, we'll see how Gillen goes over the coming years, but he's made a good start. And I mean, he's probably exceeded expectations of the majority of the public, which is, you know, always promising. Um, Bulldogs have more or less confirmed that they are going to be playing three matches a year in Ballarat, starting with a game this year, I believe, at least a pre-season game. Um, in the process, North Melbourne are apparently unimpressed with the whole thing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what do you think? I just don't get the concept of a small boutique stadium. I don't know what the capacity is there, if it's something like 17 or 18,000. I know it's not a huge number, but I, just, I don't know what they're planning to do like long-term in terms of how many games. Like, do Bulldogs just not picture themselves as a big, successful club where they're drawing good crowds in the future? They're trying to replicate the Hawthorne experience, but in Ballarat. Mm. And, I mean, bearing in mind, Hawthorne have managed monster profits and turned their financial fortunes around on the basis of uh, well, on the basis of massive stadium returns from a clean stadium and 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 stuff we talked about before the podcast, but also uh, that you know, and all all the Bulldogs will be missing will be that seventeen million over five years in sponsorship from you know the Tasmanian government. So whether they can completely replicate it's one thing, but they're going to be able, they'll, they'll benefit more than Hawthorne will, I think, uh, purely in attendances because it's so close to Melbourne. And you don't have to catch a damn ferry there. So It's a nice ferry, by the way. Have you ever been <laughs> on the ferry? No, I don't like boats. I saw Titanic once. And, uh, and oh, how does it end? I've never seen it. How does it end? <laughs> Thank <laughs> I... God there's no icebergs in the uh, ABC there. <laughs> yeah, no, I have, I've never seen the end. I fall asleep about halfway through. And yeah, it's a um, stupid three-hour movie. It's like Dances with Wolves. Oh, oh I still don't know how that movie ends. I keep falling asleep at the end of it, <laughs> about halfway through. You were telling us you were telling us before that your favourite movie Sixteen Candles, is no, that right? No, that's not true at all. Uh and just to clarify, we were talking about mixtapes that Messenger may have made when he was a kid, um, with his gramophone and other things that he was probably using at the time. So my <laughs> like gramophone. His his, <laughs> his his master's voice stereo, you know, like Absolutely, the, the Walkman and the eight track made it with an <laughs> eight track. <laughs> made it with an eight track. Now, and now the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> uh, the Adelaide Oval review was still uh, underway. Uh, Michael Angelo Rucci, my favourite of uh, sports writers, is currently. Uh, earning some respect actually by going after the Sample who if I hate anyone more than Michelangelo Rucci it is the South Australian National Football League purely because they still have National in their uh, title despite never being a National Football competition and generally being a bunch of cretins but uh, that oval review is still underway evidently if you're wondering uh, the, the original deal was for the Sample to not lose any money on the deal 
they had to uh, they had to make um, they had to make revenue at the same level they were making before they moved, um, and the clubs were expected to uh, lift revenue by about four million each. Uh, that uplift in revenue apparently happened uh, according to the budgets that they set, uh, which. I can't specifically remember, but they exceed both clubs exceeded them dramatically by having record crowds, record memberships, and the only people that appear to have profited from this are the SANFL. Bastard. So, uh, and in the meantime, Port are somehow still making multi-million dollar losses. They losses losses. They will still report a loss this year, apparently, despite uh, turning over massive crowds, massive. Um, uh, massive memberships and, in all probability, an increase in sponsorship. So hopefully there'll be an announcement soon, but the Sandfall aren't budging um, and the AFL are involved in that as we speak. I, I, it, it, so either Port Adelaide signed something and didn't fully understand it or they got their sums dreadfully wrong or, or they missed something, but it's really hard to imagine that their projections are so far out based on the financial constraints of that contract. Look, I'm hoping to get... Uh, I called Russell Ebert Hamble on to talk about this in coming weeks uh, mm. because he, he, he really does know far more about this than I do. I'm, I'm, I'm your guy for general financial stuff, not the specifics of Port Adelaide in particular. But, yeah, the... the, the I, I, there's elements of it, and the, you've got to remember that the Port Adelaide and Adelaide were both owned by the Sandfall at the time that these deals were signed, um, which is unfortunate because I think in another year or two, Port's licence would have been in the hands of the AFL anyway, and we would have seen a much different picture. Sadly, not to be, and now um, the review is happening, which was always supposed to happen before these clubs lock in a 20-year, 15-year deal or whatever it is that uh, they want them locked into. So, but they don't really have any choice. There's nowhere else to play. The Sample have sold all the land around Amy Stadium now. Uh, they got $71 million for it, um, which is okay. But not that great when you consider the AFL got $110 million for Waverley. So what happens with Amy State? Do they still play football there or not? It's used. It's to be used as the Crows' training base until 2038, I believe, um, which they are apparently getting for free at a cost to the Sandfall of about 1.3 million a year. Um, the Sandfall is supposed to use it for minor games and things like that, apparently, but they play their uh, finals and whatnot at the Adelaide Oval, which. Um, for the record, only attracted crowds of about 20,000 except for the grand final. There is uh, basically what we've got, and this is my view on this, but the Sandful turned a profit, uh, generated about $9 million, which is more money than both the Crows and the Power made combined from the Oval, according to media reports at least. Let, so let me qual qualify that. But, um, and, and that should not be the case. The, mm. the Sandfall's input into Adelaide Oval, they didn't pay a cent towards it. Um, they have literally no contribution to make towards the crowds, towards the attendances, towards memberships. They literally do nothing to help uh, generate any of the revenue that goes into the Oval. Uh, the matches that they hold there would barely cover the cost of staging them. 
it is in all probability that the Sandfell using Adelaide Oval to hold matches probably costs money, more money than uh, the Sandfell make from those games, which means that the Sandfell games are being subsidised by the AFL. So in other words, what you're actually saying, if we boil it all down, all the, all the deal money. needed was for the Sandfall to walk in wearing balaclavas carrying a sawn off and it would have been complete. That's, this, that's almost literally what's happened here. The Sandfall have come yes. out with an asset that they didn't contribute to, um, that they dominate like you wouldn't believe. And, and it's important to remember that this was put together, the deal was put together uh, very quickly. It was done through political expediency because if uh, it hadn't been done, the Liberal Party had another deal ready to hop, um, which was going to be a new stadium rather than uh, uh, using the old stadium and redeveloping it, which would have been an interesting thing because the SACA were massively in debt and couldn't afford to get out of it. They were $83 million in debt on the stadium, that, on the, one of the stadiums that they'd built and various other developments. And that was all paid off. That was all wiped out by the money used to build, redevelop the stadium. Uh, so the Saki came out of it with no debt, but they came out with a half interest in the stadium. The Sandfell didn't get their debt paid off, but they got a, a controlling interest in uh, the stadium as well for six months of the year. Mm. It's uh, and they make millions off it for very for almost no input. It is it is absolutely pathetic. Um, the Crows and the Power have no say in the stadium. They're, they're not on the they're not on the management thing. They're not listed on anything. They literally lease it, and, and it is pathetic when you consider how much money both the Waffle and the Waffle uh, and the and the and and West Coast and Fremantle make from their stadium arrangement. And you look at the hostage situation that is Adelaide, and has been for twenty years. It's it's. I cannot believe just the difference in how the game is run. Is it anything that the AFL is Sorry? Is there anything the AFL is actually doing to step in that they can come above the sample? Or is it just at loggerheads? The AFL's put... only bargaining chip now is... Uh, was, well, the AFL had two bargaining chips. One was the $10 million that the sample actually owed the AFL um, for loans and things uh, that they used to pay Port Adelaide. And, and Adelaide for the last three or four years. Samfell paid that uh, paid that $10 million block in full the other day, apparently, which will look good on the AFL's balance sheet for next year. But... Um, this means there's no debts. There's no... There, there's very... Basically, all they've got now is the fixture. And that'll be interesting. Because the AFL doesn't have the power now to say, well, you're mismanaging the licences, we're going to take them off you, because they already have them now. Um, and if you if you're not aware of that, that's how the the Adelaide and Port Adelaide licences are now. Uh, the majority of the board is appointed by the AFL, with some members being appointed by the, uh, the member uh, with some members of the board being appointed by the membership. So, effectively, those clubs are owned by the AFL now. Fascinating stuff, I know. Mm. <laughs> it's, um, it's... I, I'll tell you. Uh, Nothing. I, I moved over here in '92, just after. Uh, well, the crows were a year old, and you you walked in here, and it was uh, it was um, just SA football politics. I I never experienced anything like it in Melbourne. Just it's 
you, you think about the intrigues that Collingwood and Carlton and Essendon have over the years, and you, it is nothing compared to the outright hatred that every other club in the Sandville has for Port Adelaide. It's um, the vindictiveness that has gone on over the years is pathetic. I blame the nuclear fallout from Maralinga. Yeah, so would I. So would I. <laughs> anyway, moving right along, and the rest of the clubs have started releasing their financial results. Um, we won't dwell on this for too long because it's a very boring subject, but um, and it would help if I actually had the 2014 results in front of me, not the 2013 ones. But uh, Brisbane and St Kilda, both with multi-million dollar losses. Um, some issues there, obviously. Port Adelaide uh, results aren't out, but they are expected to release a multi-million dollar loss uh, when when that happens. So, Geelong's obviously dropped uh, $4 million in their revenue, which is uh, quite a shock for a, a club you think would be doing well. And I thought Essendon would have taken a bigger hit, but right across the board with their profit and loss and revenue or even just their membership. It seems like none of this um, saga stuff that's been going over the last few years actually affected their um, bottom line, but it just uh, makes you wonder what's actually happening in the background in terms of money at that club. I think it's fascinating that Richmond's revenue is actually down. <laughs> like, how, does that 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 was... <laughs> how does that happen? How does that happen? Wait till like... they win a final. Wait till they win a final. Oh... Down four, Sleeping giant. Down almost half a million dollars. Uh, Collingwood's revenue was down. Um, well down. Uh, well, sorry, Collingwood's profit well down because now they're not counting the money that the government had in the bank for them. Uh, so their profit dropped. Uh, Essendon's profit dropped by two-thirds. Actually, no, they made a loss last year, so it should be up. Uh, Geelong dropped... Uh, about 1.5 million. So Hawthorne made a nice uh, tidy profit. Um, they did after a small loss last year, and that loss was entirely um, finance uh, related. Not, uh, not it was like some, they wrote off something, and it, w- it wasn't a loss incurred by the football club itself. Um, Richmond's profit down almost well more than half. St Kilda big loss. Carlton big loss. Um, so yeah, fascinating Not stuff. Good. Uh, and as you pointed out, this is all with pokey's revenue. Uh, absolutely, this is all with pokey revenue. Brisbane, fifteen million up from thirteen million. Carlton, eighteen million down from nineteen million. Collingwood, twenty-three million from uh, their uh, social club and gaming op- uh, operations uh, up from twenty-two million. Essendon, thirteen point five down from thirteen point seven. Geelong down as well. Uh, well, actually, up slightly, 12.78 down. Uh, uh, what am I doing? I can't even read. Uh, down 12.7, down from 13.7. Hawthorne uh, down as well, but only down by about 300 grand. And uh, Richmond's uh, operations are pathetic anyway, but down five, uh, up 5.7 from 5.5. And St Kilda, who probably have the worst operation uh in gaming in the Melbourne clubs, 2.2 million down from 2.2. The Bulldogs will be about the same because their operations are pretty pathetic as well in that area. And when I say pathetic, I mean financially. I don't mean in terms of uh, a moral stance on uh, on pokies. It's a legal form of revenue, and as far as I'm concerned, clubs should avail themselves of all the uh, legal forms of revenue while they are legal. 
So it's an interesting fact with the uh, just with revenue. Who do you think out of all the AFL clubs is the leading on field apparel sales for two thousand fourteen? Oh, I'm going to say I and just think, think two thousand thirteen probably... was Hawthorne. I'm going to say the Fremantle Dockers. Correct. We've overtaken you know Hawthorne why? this year for on-field apparel sales. You can, you can, purple can be done well. It's quite purple marketable. Purple can be done well. Hawthorne's, have you seen Hawthorne's 2015 on-field apparel? Not yet. It is done, it's done in blue. Really? With brown and gold, brown and gold highlights. We haven't seen that, and, and, and I can tell you on the Hawthorne boards, it is a, it is a source of not not a insignificant amount of um, sadness, shall we say. The club colours are brown. Like the members' stuff you can buy is brown and gold, but the on-field apparel is on a, on a blue base with brown and gold highlights. Mm. Which so, goes back. I mean, Puma did that about 15 years ago, to be fair. But, um, so like your club doctors when, when uh, Carlton were kicking to them. <laughs> the, 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 it is a fulfilment of ODN's twisted fantasy about the conspiracy relating to Hawthorne medical staff and myopic Carlton midfielders. If everyone is ready to proceed today, that may cast a different light on. Sorry about that. <laughs> a little bit, of a, little bit of a technical glitch there. Um, just finally, uh, the Asada investigation obviously is still. Well, still going, but we are now at the point where we are going to the AFL tribunal. The tribunal hearings have been set to start from, I think, December the 15th. And uh, they will proceed into the new year. So that'll keep going for a little bit longer, which will please Chief immensely, I'm sure, as the advertising revenue from the site caused by this saga has probably bought him a new house. As well as Interact. the fact that he is making us do this podcast as we speak. <laughs> now, now Shane Charters was on the radio in Melbourne this morning. Have you caught up with that, Wookie? I am reading some stuff about him complaining it's not fair that he's been subjected to pressure to testify. It is. Life's not fair for Shane Charters. <laughs> he, what he was willing to say was that he purchased Thymus and Beta 4 at the direction of Stephen Dank for an entity controlled by Stephen Dank that was servicing a number of other organisations, including Essendon. And he would he basically puts it in the hands of Nima Alabi. And so the chain needs to be then that Nima Alabi needs to say that that thymus and beta-4 got to Essendon. And then they need to be able to demonstrate that that got in the vein of a footballer. Mm. And so See, that's that's the chain they've got to build. It's by no means a done deal. This Nemo Larvey guy sounds like a or a key witness to the whole story of if it, it's true or not what's what gone on. But I've never heard his name up until now. How he's um sort of escaped the spotlight? Oh, he's been in the some of the articles that um, Nick McKenzie and Richard Baker have written in the Age. So you hear about Dank the... and Charter a lot, but not this guy. There was early on pharmacist. There was early on with the compounding and everything, so Yeah. And he's the one who said essentially that it was thymus and beta four that he was compounding. Um, yeah, so it's 
going to be interesting, and, and I think there is some speculation that this case may not be as rock solid as uh, perhaps Asada had hoped, but with Asada, how can we be at all surprised, mm-hmm. frankly? So you reckon there's a higher chance that this whole thing may be dropped and Asada don't have a case if they don't get their uh, facts and witnesses straight? I honestly don't know whether it's a high chance, but I would say it's certainly one of the possibilities. The fact is they've got... Apparently the issue is they've got the statements, um, they've got the affidavits, but they haven't been signed by the people that gave them. Now, this... I, I believe it's Asada trying to dot, like make sure it's got every advantage it can have. I think the, the statements and everything stand up anyway. But um, they, they, they need the witness... Like they need the witnesses to be present just to make sure that it really does stand up properly. Um, they can use the statements if, as long as uh, the investigator who took the statement is there and can testify to their truth and availability, apparently. so. And Stephen Dank has agreed to uh, go to the tribunal. Really? Well, blow That's, me I'm sure da- I read that. Blow me down with a feather. I'm sure I read that in the in the in the uh, on the interwebs. On I think it was on fakeaflnews.com. It's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle that's uh, kind of scrambled at the moment. Um, it seems it seems that um, Alavian charters, just from what we've been made aware of at the moment, form a critical part of the uh, prosecution for Asada, and at the moment they can't get. Uh, Alavi and Charters to testify uh, to what they said in the interviews, which is uh, which comes down to obviously potential legal ramifications for the pair of them uh, in an outer sense, uh, in a as in legal jurisdiction sense. So um, yeah, so obviously there's not much that Asada can do to compel them to talk. Um, that's from my understanding. They can subpoena them and get them to appear, but beyond that, I don't think they have the scope to actually coerce them to answer any questions. Right. And uh, at this point in time, it seems uh, all parties... Uh, it seems all parties are more or less unanimous in the um, thought process that Asada's case uh, is very much reliant on these two witnesses testifying uh, to support their case. They can they can use the statements that were issued though, can't they? I believe they can, but I think one of the issues, and I know Lance Uppercut's been very strong on this, is that the uh, if they use those statements and and they don't obviously appear to get uh, to be cross examined, then um, more or less that evidence can't be tested, which uh, obviously the AFL Players Association lawyers and um, everyone else who's involved with um that side of the fence will be um, up in arms about it. And uh, and obviously um, that testimony as well, there's no repercussions for lying in those interviews or so on and so forth. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's flimsy in regards to um, when it comes to obviously uh, transcription, um, sworn testimony as such. So it's, uh, it's, it's, Complicated. I think they. I think they'll still use it, but it differs widely from actually having these two witnesses there to corroborate everything they've said, and then obviously um, undergo cross examination from the defence. Okay. So, what else should we be aware of at the moment? 
Uh, off the top of my head, there's a. I think that more or less covers the key issues at the moment. Um, obviously, the players will be a bit concerned with uh, the hearing being delayed for a week into uh, the subpoenas or the attempted subpoenas from Asada against Charters and Alavi. Um, there's been a fav- there's a bit of a bit of talk this morning from our favourite sea kayaker. Um, with regards to Dank potentially uh, testifying, but I mean, the amount, if you got a dollar for every time Dank came, um, Dank's made a statement to the effect that he'll testify in due course and save the players, and, um, you know, we'd be, uh, we'd be as rich as chief. But um, now, apart from that, there's not too much else to note really at this stage. I mean, the rest of it's sort of his status quo, as in the players are still looking forward to the hearing and, uh, you know, aren't entertaining any deals as such. And, uh, you know, Asada remains steadfast in their belief that they've got a, a case they can prosecute. And uh, I guess the only other bit of information, um, only bit of uh, interesting, well, dep- depending on what you define as interesting, uh, little tidbit is that uh, in unbelievable circumstances, Martin Hardy has blocked Richard Ings on Twitter. So, <laughs> no way. That's legitimately true. Apparently, uh, yes, uh, Martin Hardy, in his uh, infinite wisdom and him never being wrong, uh, took offence to Ings' views on things and uh, opinions and decided to block him. So th- this is Richard Ings, the former head of ASADA. Yep. Had some opinions on the ASADA investigation that Hardy, who has never been involved in ASADA or with ASADA and has a shall we say a scholastic knowledge of the law uh fine is, knowledge is, is, is <laughs> I, I i i had the fingers up in yeah. making the quote signs while i was saying that but uh you know has a somewhat scholastic knowledge of the law shall we say um and no practical application in this circumstance is uh arguing with ings that ings is wrong uh more or less and um Martin Hardy, being the sea kayaker, he is, uh, doesn't take too kindly to people who say he's wrong or don't bow down to his uh, superior knowledge and uh, has decided to go the John Ralph method and block him. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, mm. Seppo, any news from the West we need to worry about? Oh, nothing much, really. It's just annoying now that we've finished the rookie draft that there's no real AFL content now until the pre-season actually kicks off. So, unfortunately, the uh, Essendon saga is going to be the only thing in the, the headlines, really, which is a bit annoying, which means um, I'm just going to try and keep my head out of football and try and take up some uh, summer sport and get down to the Boxing Day Test match and really just enjoy things that are non-AFL related until we uh, kick off in the new year. It would also. Seppo, that's 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 not entirely true because you you will be able to report that uh, player X is training the house down, <laughs> oh, or has never that. looked better. Yeah, which is what I was saying about Ryan Showmakers this time last year. That's <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, be remiss of us uh, not to express our condolences on behalf of the Big Footy Podcast and all of us uh, on staff at Big Footy to uh, the Phil Hughes uh, family and whatnot uh, after that tragedy over there. His uh, fun- uh, uh, memorial service was held in Adelaide today, at Adelaide Oval, and uh, they had a few thousand people turn out for that. 
So our thoughts are with them all at this moment, especially with Sean Abbott, um, who yes. is going to be carrying this for a long time, and it's unfortunate. Um, but these things can happen. Um, and on that note, on that happy note, uh, I'll say good night to Messenger. Thanks for coming on again, mate. In the middle of, uh, you know, what is I'm sure your off season. Uh, I've just been watching. I just I'm down to watching the grand final once a week now. <laughs> Which grand final though? Oh, uh, either of them. Either of them. Uh, you'd still be watching the '84 grand final, wouldn't you? No, uh, no, mostly 2014. <laughs> and uh, Seppo, um, one day you'll get to watch a grand final that you win. Yeah, might be next year. No, no, it won't. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Crush my dreams, why don't you? Closer than Carlton, though. God, oh, man. no, it won't be us, man. It won't be us until... Oh, I'd be surprised if we start in contending properly again next you'll year. You'll probably be dead the next time they win one. Yeah, I'm getting to that age. <laughs> True. All right, guys, I reckon before we go, we need to uh, place a prediction for the first club to uh, feature with a, an off-field drama or make the headlines for the wrong reasons in this off-season. Well, that's a uh, Didn't put we just the do spot. that yesterday with, with uh, young Zachary Webster? Well, what's, what's, what's the deal there, uh, Messenger? I'd like to point out that young <laughs> Zachary uh, committed this um, rather... Rather off, little indiscretion. Before he was drafted, okay? Before he was drafted. Not pleasant. 140 hours community service. Uh, he'll serve a suspension through the NAB challenge, which is probably the only games he'll play this year. But, um, yes, he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. But otherwise, I think there might be a scandal um, uh, involving uh, Ross Lyon and... Uh, actual uh, forward line play next in the, in the next season. Ooh, we might see Fremantle teams kick goals. Do you have any predictions? No, I'm going to I'm going to put it down to one of the uh, greater western Sydney side. I I think there could be something out of there one of these players and and just what's going on in Sydney, so keep an eye out for that. Well, so right, here we go. First coach sacked. I think Leon Cameron might have some trouble this year. I saw an article in the paper, and or oh, was it on the uh, AFL website? And it's just Leon Cameron. I'm so glad we have talent now. <laughs> <laughs> what do they mean to the last few years? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just, so glad we have talent now. My God, it's like yeah, the rest of the side. It's only the headline for the article, but you look at it and go, really? <laughs> it's like, yeah. The rest of the team's last... rubbish, but now we've got talent. <laughs> for so long we've been shitting that, and now he's good. Yeah. Oh. I'm still waiting to see if Stephen Silvani comes back to Carlton at the end of the year. God knows we could use a new list manager, I think. And yeah, tried buying all the others, so... Get, what, 50 boat horses in the next draft next year? Who trades pick seven for a guy that's going to be... breaks his ankle and will spend a year in a moon boot? Oh, that is shocking, isn't it? And, and <laughs> takes a mature age draft pick inside the top 20... You could have got in with your last pick, probably. I just I find it hilarious that when they called his name out, I was listening to ABC Radio, and they were like, "Who the hell is this guy?" That's <laughs> they, no one had any information to hand on him. It's like, uh... well, I didn't bother because our first pick was at thirty-one, and I thought, oh, "Well, thirty-one, God, <laughs> could be anybody." Thirty-one. 
I don't think the Swans... Not a jet or a gun. I don't think the Swans had a non-academy or rookie pick after the second round, which was pretty funny too. Although the guy that we picked at 31, near perfect score in his kicking test at the draft camp. Yes, 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 he, yes. I tell you, no, he, he Clarkson, he went to the... He actually was invited down the um, the academy, the AIS academy or whatever it was uh, a couple of years ago, and he said straight out, he said, if you can't kick, you can't play. Mm. That's it. Can't kick, can't play. So he said... That's what you got to work on. Well, just Triple like edge. just like that, Sorry. another football season and all its uh, you know accessories have ended, and uh, we'll be saying goodbye unless major news hits us <laughs> sometime in the near future. I think we all should just thank Chief as well tonight um, for uh, <laughs> giving us a forum uh, for putting this podcast on and also making us do this podcast tonight. I, I, I can I can reveal to you that next season we'll be releasing messenger shirts and caps <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll be, we'll Chief be, made me do it. We'll be going out on the merchandise and and apparently they'll be blue with uh, brown, brown and gold, brown and gold highlights. highlights. Yeah, and <laughs> that's I'll absolutely buy one. And I will and I will send one to ODN just to troll him, <laughs> like. With, with what you should do is one with the Hawthorne thing and then a band on the arm that says Carlton Doctor on it. <laughs> anyway, that's all from us tonight, I think. Unless Seppo's got anything to add? Not at all. Just uh, uh, I'll just see you guys next year and uh, get back to it in the podcast. I have a feeling I might be banned from the podcast next year. <laughs> I, think, I think it's quite likely that, that, I'll, that Chief will... Um, Make me unavailable. Unless you're forced to do it. Uh, uh, he probably will, yes. Yeah. If I was chief, I'd force you to do it, whether you wanted to or not. Yes. <laughs> that's the punishment. The, the punishment is in the forcing, not in the... Anyway. Uh, that's all from us tonight. Good night. Have a good off-season. Stay safe. Don't take candy from strangers, etc. Et Don't take money. Don't take fame. Don't need no credit card.